ready to hear about one of the trippiest cults in American history, a cult that the police nicknamed the Hippie Mafia. And this Hippie Mafia had one goal. They wanted to transform people's thinking, and they would do this by distributing LSD to the masses. Today, we're going to get into the brotherhood of eternal love and its dream of creating a utopian society. But instead of building that utopia, they created a multi-million dollar drug smuggling business instead. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sinister Societies, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. Every week, we're going to cover your favorite cults, faith followers, and secret societies. We'll look at how some of the biggest secretive societies and cults have made their fortunes. And how they've also managed to run in plain sight and permeate into your everyday life. And today, we're going to talk to you about the Brotherhood of Eternal Love. They were an idealistic group of folks who believed that they could create a utopian way of life with a little help from LSD. We'll get into how its founder, John Griggs, went from leading a small street gang in 1960s California to establishing an international drug smuggling business, all within a few short years. It's generally the way it goes, isn't it? I mean, this is the thing. I feel like... The road to drug smuggling ring is laid with good intentions. Or small street gangs. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's once again going to be a combo story of money Mm. and idealistic utopian desires. Because when you start with one, the other one comes quite quickly. The thing is, when the other one comes quite quickly, and Mm. by that I mean the money, you realize that that's more tasty than utopia. (laughs) It's quite easy to be a socialist when you're poor. This is the I thing. would argue. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Much easier to be a socialist when you don't have any money. And then you're like, I'll take that money. Thanks yeah. very much. Oh, actually, money's great. I can use it to buy other things. And do you know what people like spending money on? Drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's get into the Brotherhood of Eternal Love and its founder, John Griggs. John Griggs was born into a working-class family in Texas in August 1943. Not much is known about his early years, but we know that his family moved to Oklahoma when he was young. And it was around 1955 when his family moved from Oklahoma to Anaheim. And Anaheim is where Disneyland is in California. And I went in 1994. Oh, is it Disney World, the one in California? No, that's in Florida. Disneyland is definitely California. Oh, Oh, I've never been to either. Have you not? No. Have you been to the one in Paris? Yeah. Oh, it's the worst one. (laughs) (laughs) My parents were like, fuck that. We're not going to bloody America. We'll take you to Paris. (laughs) And uh, that's the end of that story. And just like Saruti's parents, in high school, Griggs had a bit of a mean streak. (laughs) (laughs) He was prone to picking fights and he was also high school champion wrestler. According to journalist Nicholas Scow, who wrote a book about the Brotherhood of Eternal Love, Griggs started to take amphetamines when he was a teenager, probably because of all of that wrestling. And Scow said that Griggs had, quote, a quick wit and an uncanny ability to size people up. Griggs graduated high school in 1961, and that same year he married Carol Horan, who was several years his junior. Their parents forced the couple to have a shotgun wedding when they found out that teenage Carol was pregnant. 
Griggs was also the leader of a car gang called the Street Sweepers. Aim high. Why not? Maybe it's to keep below the radar, though. Everyone's like, oh, they're just street sweepers. From their cars. Don't worry about it. Just dangling a broom out the window. (laughs) (laughs) But no, they weren't just spending their time driving around dangling brooms out their window. No, no, no. They were known for staging drag races and cruising around Anaheim in German army helmets, which nothing sinister about that at all. They also got high and would throw eggs and water balloons at people that they didn't like. I feel like that's a scene out of every American high school film ever, minus the German army helmet. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like they peaked with sinisterness in the German army helmets and then they come right back down when they're just throwing eggs at people. Have you seen that Michelin web sketch where they're in World War One and they're Germans and they've got helmets and they've got skulls on their helmets yeah. and they're like, are we the baddies? <laughs> that's one of the best. <laughs> at one point, Griggs had a job with Anaheim Parks and Recreation but he was dissatisfied with his work. So he took off into the Californian mountains to try and survive as a trapper. And just in case anybody doesn't know, I'm not very farmy or outdoorsy, but a trapper is someone who traps animals. But for some reason, this little hobby of his earned him the nickname, the farmer. A former member of the Street Sweepers said of Griggs, quote, Johnny was the boss. Johnny took care of everything. People started calling him the farmer because he gathered everyone around him like Johnny Appleseed. And this is maybe quite like cool and covert. They called him the farmer because he grew followers. Griggs heard about LSD through a friend of his. It was a new drug at the time, so it was expensive to get hold of. When Griggs learned that a Hollywood movie producer had acid at his house, Griggs and some of his gang robbed the producer at gunpoint and took his drugs. According to reports, the movie producer was so relieved that Griggs and his gang didn't shoot him that he yelled after them, have a great trip, boys. If I stole drugs off somebody and they yelled that at me as I ran away, I wouldn't take those drugs. Oh, no, I would not (laughs) touch them. No way. Have a great trip, boy. Oh, I'm going to die. This is my last day on this earth. I would obviously never even contemplate stealing or taking drugs. That night, Griggs dropped acid for the first time. He took four times the recommended amount. A few hours later, the gang threw away their weapons and Griggs said, quote, this is it. This is it. This quadruple dose event transformed Griggs and he and the street sweepers gave up violence. He even apologized to the movie producer. This is also around the same time that Griggs and his friends gave up their day jobs to start dealing weed and LSD full time. Soon, Griggs was recruiting everyone he knew into a group of people who all viewed acid as a window into God himself. He told everyone that they could create a utopian society built around the healing powers of LSD. Griggs's inspiration was Aldous Huxley's book, Island, which is set on a fictional tropical utopian island. Griggs and his wife decided to move to a remote area 30 minutes northeast of Laguna Beach in Southern California. They invited their friends to their new home, where they would all take acid together. Eventually, their friends moved to the area and they all started growing their own food, making their own clothes, built their own houses, and even learned to deliver babies. Ding, 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 cult. Wind chime, that doesn't sound like a wind chime anymore. Oh, Um, it does, they put it in, don't worry. Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) They don't let you do it. They don't let me do it anymore. But yeah, here we go, we have the cult beginning because they're kicking off the communal living in a big way. In the summer of 1966, Griggs arranged a meeting with Harvard psychologist and LSD pioneer, Timothy Leary. I tried to look up if there were any fun facts about Timothy Leary. 
fair or not, he was very boring. But I like that you said it looking at me like you were going to tell me some fun facts about yep. him. I mean, I really feel like I've let the side down. <laughs> I couldn't dig up anything. I was just looking for like he had a dog called Thomas or something, but nothing, literally nothing. Griggs had read a few news profiles on Leary's. That's how he found him. And he was interested in learning more about hallucinogens from Leary. When the two met, they had a mutual admiration for each other. In his autobiography, Leary described Griggs as, quote, an incredible genius. Although unschooled and unlettered, he was an impressive person. He had that sparkle in his eye. He was good-natured, surfing the energy waves with a smile on his face. Griggs called Leary Uncle Tim, and Leary would advise Griggs on his psychedelic journey. They jointly thought of psychedelics as a form of religious sacrament, which they are not the first people in the universe to do that. It's been around for a really long time. Timothy Leary was the one who convinced Griggs to turn the Brotherhood into a religious organization. So, in October 1966, Johnny and some of his friends established a church, which became the Brotherhood of Eternal Love. Approximately two weeks before they registered their church, California State Legislature passed the first law in the US banning LSD. That's a bit of a bummer. Yeah. But by registering as a church, Griggs and his brotherhood were able to take advantage of a loophole in the law. Because they were a church, they could claim religious exemption by saying that LSD was a ceremonial sacrament in their worship. So actually not a bummer, very much an unbummer, because now <laughs> anyone who wants to take LSD could just legally go join this church and take all the LSD they want. Yeah, I mean, that's what people do with ayahuasca mm -hmm. in exploitative tourism at its worst. Those people going to go to the rainforests and just do loads of ayahuasca with native people. Like, stop doing that. It's not for you. But yeah, I have a bit of a problem with religious exemption for things, especially tax. Because just because a religion is a religion, does that mean they should be allowed to do fucked up shit? I'm not talking about LSD. Like, I think everyone should be able to do that. But like... Just being a religion and that meaning you can get away with everything is a bit of a grey area I mean, for me. I mean, I wouldn't even say it's a grey area. For me, I feel like um, why religion gets a lower standard that it has to bear than everything else, I think it should be held up to the same exact standards as everything else. Yeah, and I'll tell you how to solve world hunger. Tax the Vatican. They got all that money. Oh, well, there you go. Coming up, Griggs and the Brotherhood of Eternal Love get into the international drug smuggling business. Although many members of the Brotherhood were Christian, they drew from Eastern religious ideas, surprise, surprise, taking elements from Buddhism, Hinduism, as well as the teachings of Indies yogis. They were also inspired by the Chinese ancient divination technique, the I Ching, which is what they use in The Man in the High Castle. It plays a big part in that Philip K. Dick book. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. It's much more prevalent in the book than it is in the TV series. Oh, um, I haven't consumed either. Have you not? I think you quite like it. Yeah, a lot of people have recommended it to me. I need to put it on the list. The Brotherhood used I Ching and loads of other things to say that their objective was to, quote, bring to the world a greater awareness of God through the teachings of all true prophets and apostles of God and to spread the love and wisdom of these great teachers to all men. We believe in the sacred right of each individual to commune with God in spirit and in truth as it is empirically revealed to him. The Brotherhood would have frequent orgies called this is one of the best names I've ever seen. Group 
groups. <laughs> Which sounds like a fun student night. <laughs> group groups. <laughs> That's most student nights. Yeah. And obviously, for these group groups, they would, of course, take a bunch of acid. But they considered it a sacred sex rite. And they're not the first people to do that. They are not. But I would say give it a more illustrious name. Than group groups. Than group groups. Why dress it up? I mean, fair enough. (laughs) Fair enough. Because it really does sound like group groups, the new student night opening every Thursday at Oceana, Birmingham. (laughs) Bring your own hot dogs. (laughs) In 1967, Griggs and some of the Brotherhood moved to Laguna Beach. They grew their hair long, walked around barefoot, planted vegetable gardens, and surfed, which is what I assume people in Laguna Beach do. Yep, me too. Less than a year after formally establishing the Brotherhood, their drug operation expanded to include not just dealing, but also smuggling. And they had also now grown to about 100 members. Which is interesting because if I was running a drug operation. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want that many people in on it. Yeah, but you do want a lot of people to group grope. You do. And if you're having a cult, you want a lot of people. So it's kind of a bit awkward. Mm, Yeah, it's a conflict of interest. It is. It is. But I guess maybe they needed all these people because the group were bringing in kilos of weed from Mexico. As the drug operation got bigger, Griggs decided they needed a facade for their business. So they opened a store called Mystic Arts World, which is the kind of place that I would have liked hung out as a teenager. Oh, yeah. And this place was described as a psychedelic emporium. And all the corners in the building were even rounded, as stipulated by the Book of Tao. Bet you could pick up some sick tie-dye in there. Nice little choker necklace. Oh, yeah. A good incense stick. Bit of a crystal. Everything. Even a wind chime. (laughs) Griggs and the Brotherhood weren't selfish with their drug profits either. They gave back to the community. They used some of their money to fund a vegetarian kitchen as well as an art gallery for local artists. That's nice. I mean, yeah, but Pablo Escobar built houses, so, you know. And let hippos loose. <laughs> the hippos got let that's loose after true, his That's death. true, To be fair, let's not blame Escobar for that. <laughs> that environmental catastrophe. <laughs> Google Escobar's cocaine hippos, you will not regret it. In 1967, not long after they opened Mystic Arts World, Brotherhood member David Hall discovered a new drug that could potentially turn them a good profit. And that drug was favourite of the Mujahideen, hashish. An oldie but a goodie. An oldie but a goodie. You can't beat it. A friend of mine once cut her hand open, cutting into a block of hash at like two o'clock in the morning. And she had to go to A&E with this like open hand. And they were like, what were you doing? And she was like, cutting an apple. (laughs) And they were like, yeah, sure. Give me your hand. (laughs) Reprobate. So they discover hashish just like many university students do, and Hall convinced Griggs to get into the hash business. And soon they were importing it from Afghanistan. To get their hash into the United States, the group would ship a car with hidden compartments all the way to Afghanistan. Once there, they would work with locals who would stash the drugs in the car. They would then send the car back to the States through a port that was not known to have problems with narcotics. That's quite smart. Mm-hmm. So members, of course, had counterfeit passports, driver's licenses and disguises to help them move freely between countries. And the only member of the Brotherhood who didn't sell drugs for plausible deniability <laughs> was, of course, Griggs. Smart guy. By 1967, the Brotherhood had cultivated a network of international suppliers. They even had their own yacht for transporting drugs. 
In this same year, 1967, Griggs started searching for a stronger form of acid because members of the Brotherhood complained that theirs wasn't strong enough. Griggs asked a chemist who he'd recently been introduced to if he could make something stronger. And if he could, the Brotherhood would be the chemist's exclusive distributor, very smart man. In just six months, the chemist, Nick Sand, and his lab partner, Tim Scully, made more than 3.5 million tabs of acid. Griggs called the new LSD Orange Sunshine. In a matter of just a few weeks, thanks to the Brotherhood, Orange Sunshine had spread across California and parts of the US. It found its way to the Beatles, Yoko Ono, Jimi Hendrix, and even a young Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs famously said that doing LSD was the best thing he ever did. Yeah, I mean, Silicon Valley's mad for it. Mm -hmm. Bit of microdosing. The abundance of LSD across the US started to change people's attitudes about psychedelics, especially now that it had celebrity clout. It also ensured that Orange Sunshine and the Brotherhood became a household name. Walter Whiting, these bitches, honestly, completely taking the market by the throat. Griggs knows what he's doing. The Brotherhood only charged 10 cents per dose. A former member said about this cost, he said, quote, we weren't greedy. We just wanted people to get high. That's like a Freddo. Freddo. I don't know if Americans know what a Freddo is. A Freddo is a little chocolate frog. A Freddo is how people measure inflation in the UK. (laughs) They used to be 2p when we were kids. Then they were 5p. And now they're 15p. I remember them being 5p. Yeah. When did you come to this country? 98? 90. I would have been 6. So 89. No, it would have been 96. 96. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. If you want to know about inflation in the UK, ask someone how much a Freddo is. Freddo's a 15p now. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow, 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 wow. It's a little chocolate frog. That's all it is. <laughs> Didn't explain that very well. No, it's okay. I said that. Oh, you did. Okay. I would take issue with, we just want people to get high things. Like, you don't need a yacht to get people high, my friend. But if you've got all that money, you might as well buy a yacht. I mean, what else are you going to do with it? If selling your product for 10 cents gets you enough money to buy a yacht, but and you start a vegetarian restaurant and you can buy a yacht. Yeah, you know what? Karmically, you're probably okay. You're probably balanced out. But despite the cheap acid, the Brotherhood was bringing in major money from all of the drugs that they were selling. And in 1967, local police in Laguna Beach started to take notice of the Brotherhood. A former member of the Brotherhood described this period of the group as, quote, it just turned into something way bigger than we thought. We weren't organized crime. We were unorganized crime. No, you weren't. If I'm sorry, if you're smuggling anything from Afghanistan, you're in organized crime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the mistake they made here was maybe the fact that LSD at this point is illegal, but they've become a household name for being suppliers of LSD. Yeah, whether you like it or not, buddy, you are in organized crime. And then when you're cruising around in a yacht, the police are going to properly take notice. Up next, the police catch up with the Brotherhood and John Griggs takes a fatal and final trip. By 1968, John Griggs became disillusioned with Laguna Beach because of its growing reputation as a hub for hippies and the fact that the local police were now targeting them. So he's doing the classic like, oh, it's mainstream now. I'm out. I'm going to go and do this somewhere else. So in the spring of that year, he and some members moved to a remote rural location near Palm Springs. It was a 300-acre piece of land that they named Idlewild Ranch. 
and they were joined there by Timothy Leary and his wife. It was a couples-only commune. Fuck you. (laughs) Why can't single people come and have fun and take drugs? I'll tell you why. I think it's because... If they let that happen, then it will just be all men. (laughs) They're doing the club tactic of you can only get in as a man if you've got a woman with you. (laughs) Fine, you win this round, brotherhood. So it was a couples only commune that was led by Leary, who named himself and Griggs as, quote, agents of God born to lead a new breed. All right, Tim. I think someone's getting a little bit too big for their boots here. So... Together, they cooked, worked on the ranch, and held weekly LSD ceremonies. At night, each family slept in teepees scattered across the wide open valley. That sounds like a fun weekend. I was just going to say, it sounds like a nice wedding venue, and then you can go home and shower. Exactly. But as nice as it may sound, it wasn't quite the utopia Griggs was hoping for, because in July 1969, a teenage girl died at the Brotherhood's ranch after dropping acid. As the owner of the ranch, Timothy Leary was arrested for delinquency of a minor. When the police raided the property, they confiscated large amounts of pot, hash, and of course, orange sunshine. Would you like a fun fact about Leary? Well, I'm glad you found one because I couldn't find one. In 1969, Timothy Leary announced that he was going to run for California governor against Ronald Reagan. And John Lennon wrote, Come Together, as a campaign song, for Tim Leary. That is a good fucking fact. That but is a great fact. That, I mean, who fucking would have thought? But that's what you get for being involved with Orange Sunshine is yeah. that John Lennon will write your campaign <laughs> songs for you. <laughs> but of course, after his arrest, his campaign for governor fizzled out. I'm going to put that in my fact bank for the rest of my life. Take it. Take it. It's along with um, my favorite fact ever that sharks have been around longer than trees. I hate that one. I hate it. I love it. <laughs> I told my parents that this weekend when we were watching a shark documentary with them because my dad bought a massive fucking ultra HD TV and will only let us watch nature documentaries on there right now when I went to go visit them for Christmas. And I was like, did you know this? Both of them just looked at me like they didn't believe me, which is my entire childhood. But let's not unwrap that therapy trauma bomb. (laughs) So less than a month after Leary's arrest, Griggs discovered another new drug that was even stronger than orange sunshine. It was a synthetic and highly potent form of psilocybin. He tried it once and it killed him, just days before his 26th birthday. Yikes. That's a big yike. That's when you don't want to become a statistic. And you do. Yeah. And also, it's so hard to believe, like, all the stuff we just told you, he's only 26. Yeah, no, that's the... It's not the most shocking thing, but it did take me by surprise somewhat. Yeah. According to the lab report, the problem with this drug that Griggs took is that it had been laced with something called strychnine, which is, of course, a very, very strong poison, a very small amount of which can kill a person. And after Griggs' death, the Brotherhood began to fracture. They became less of a religion and more of an official drug organization. They divided the business up by delegating leaders for each branch of the business, and they also started to deal in a new hot drug on the scene, cocaine. And this meant that they were dealing with cartels. The FBI estimated in 1970 that orange sunshine acid was being manufactured by hundreds of pill presses stashed in various houses across the country. And by 1971, the same year, President Nixon declared drug abuse to be America's, quote, public enemy number one, the FBI began tracking the Brotherhood. They listened to their phone calls and watched their homes for over a year. In 1972, local and federal authorities received grand jury indictments against 46 members of the Brotherhood in an attempt to shatter 
what law enforcement officials consider to be one of the largest drug dealing operations in the United States. By this time, the Brotherhood had made millions of dollars. Police estimated that around 200 people were involved with the group at its peak. And on the 5th of August, 1972, the FBI raided the Brotherhood's ranch, as well as other Brotherhood communes in Oregon and Hawaii. It was estimated that the Brotherhood was worth, at this point, more than $200 million. Dozens of members were arrested, but some managed to escape. The ones who did escape forged new identities and moved overseas. Some managed to evade the authorities for decades. In 2009, nearly 40 years after the raid, the last escapee was caught. Brennis Lee Smith was arrested at San Francisco International Airport. He'd been living in Nepal for about 40 years and was supposedly coming back to the States to turn himself in. After 40 years, why would you bother? No idea. Maybe he was just like, oh, I've had my fun in Nepal. I'm going to go back to the US and... Go to prison? Go to prison. They'll probably look after me. I'm an old man now. Oh, man. He must have been having a terrible time in Nepal. Smith pleaded guilty to a 1972 charge for smuggling hash from Afghanistan, but only spent a few weeks in prison. So he was right. In a statement, he said about the Brotherhood, quote, We wanted people to be happy and free and not like what society conditioned you to be. Basically, we loved everyone and wanted everyone to find love and happiness. We wanted to change the world in five years, but in five years, it changed us. It was an illusion. Someone's bought some prayer flags. He spent 40 years in Nepal thinking about that quote. (laughs) Yeah, that's all he did in the 40 years of Nepal. What have we got to say about this particular one? I think... Stay away from cocaine. It ruins most things, I would argue. I mean, there we go. That's everything. No, I do think that they had probably quite good intentions with the stuff that they did. But at the same time, they were just like, we love money. Why not? Yeah, I think I agree with you. Mm. Because money is the most potent drug of all. And on that bombshell, (laughs) we will leave you for this week with the story of John Griggs and the Brotherhood of Eternal Love. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Saruti Bala. And I'm Hannah Maguire, and we'll be back with you next week with another great episode. Remember to follow Sinister Societies on Spotify to get a brand new episode every single week. You can listen to this and all other episodes of Sinister Societies for free exclusively on Spotify. So if you like this show, make sure you follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. And if you like us, you might want to head on over to Red Handed, the podcast, which is a show we've been running for about four years now. There is a whole back catalogue there because we release a brand new true crime episode every single week, covering everything from the story of the likes of Chris Watts and Casey Anthony all the way to Scientology and a bunch of other stuff I can't even remember because there are about 300 episodes up. So go check that out. And we'll see you there or here or both next time. Sinister Societies is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Podcast. It's produced by Kristen Acevedo and Gemma Waters. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Kevin McAlpine. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro. Research by Chelsea Wood and fact-checking by Cara McAleen. And we're your hosts, Hannah Maguire and Saruti Bala. <laughs> <laughs>